You may remember last Sunday, Jesus told us that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he addressed it to those who are convinced of their own righteousness. Now, that was back in kind of early on chapter 18 of Luke's gospel. We jump all the way to chapter 19 today, and there's a few things that happened in between what we got today in the gospel. And frankly, in some ways, I think it's Luke kind of explaining more about that parable because in between this happening, as Jesus is making his way toward Jericho, and then today he's actually in Jericho, he has that encounter, and the one that we all know well, because all three of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke recount this story, it's the story of the rich young man. They each kind of call him some different things. Luke calls him a ruler. But the guy who comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. You know, follow the commandments. And the guy says, I, which ones? You know, you shall, uh, you know, love your parents, not commit adultery, not sin. All the, you know, all these things. And the guy says, I've done these from my youth. I've done all these things. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And you know what happens. At that, the guy's countenance falls. He's, he looks sad. Why? Because he has great possessions. The Son of God is looking at him, and according to the Gospel of Mark, looking at him and loving him. But what does the guy do? He goes away sad because he has great possessions. Now, compare that to today, we get the tax collector. It's almost like that rich young man is like the Pharisee. He's already done everything. You know, everything is all good. All the boxes are checked. And yet, he goes away sad. Today, we have not only a tax collector, the chief tax collector, and a wealthy man at that. And the reason why that's such a big deal is because, I mean, if you think about this, if we had some sort of you know, a ruling force come in. Let's just say that Canada becomes all-powerful, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, they put John here in charge of charging people to come in the church. And he's got to charge everybody five bucks to come in, but he's charging them 50, right? And so he's putting off the five bucks a person to Canada, pocketing the 45. We wouldn't be too happy with John, right? I mean, that's it's a very small way of saying. It. I mean, imagine that with like all aspects of life. Zacchaeus is a hated guy. He's a tax collector and a chief one at that, and wealthy, meaning he's good at what he does. But in the midst of that, hearing that Jesus is coming to town, what does he do? You know, that running ahead, frankly, making a fool of himself, climbing up a tree because there's something going on. There's something about this Jesus character who is entering the town that he wants to see. He can't see it yet, but he does something to find out. And in a way, you know, it's like almost like where that Pharisee, that rich young man was going. He did go to Jesus. But you look at this guy, it's not as though he already has it all figured out. He climbs up the tree and then we get the interaction with Christ. But what happens next is very different, obviously. He's not going up there to say, aren't I awesome at everything I do? No, he's going to find out who Jesus is. And in that, just that look between Jesus and him, something obviously is happening. He tells him to come down. He comes down quickly and receives him with joy. And when you look at what happens in that encounter, all of a sudden, everything changes. Unlike the rich young man who goes away sad, Zacchaeus 
has joy and salvation comes to his house. All of a sudden, based on this encounter with Christ, he's going to live his life differently. Behold, Lord, I'll give away half of my possessions to the poor. If I cheated anybody, I'll give it four times over. And notice, too, Jesus isn't the one who said, go ahead and do these things, Zacchaeus. No, he just does it out of this love for Christ. I heard a story this past week that I really like a lot about St. Thomas Aquinas. And there was a point where his family was kind of keeping him uh, sort of hostage at their castle. It's a long story. It's beautiful. But in the midst of that holding on to him, his sister, his blood sister, came to him and said, Thomas, what do I have to do to become a saint? And he looked at her and he said, desire it. Now, that's a beautiful thing, and especially coming from St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote tons and tons of things. He wrote the Summa Theologica. He wrote all of this, and it seems to me that you can almost sum up his teaching in those two words, desire it. And I think that's at the heart of everything. When you look at what's going on, like we don't come here to be like the rich young man, to come in and say, Lord, here's my report card. I did this, this, and this. You owe me something. That's not really the way it works. Just like I would assume, obviously, not a married man, but I don't think it's that way. Like the husband comes in, honey, I did this, this, and this. You owe me some love. No, that's not the way that this works. It's first and foremost, I love you. Therefore, I do everything else. It pours out from this. We talked last week about, you know, in this life, we learn to go to heaven. We learn to love in this life the way that they love in heaven. Our Lord wants us to desire him, to love him, to be willing, to be like Zacchaeus, to kind of make a fool of ourselves sometimes, and then for that love to affect everything that we do, not just that we're checking off the boxes. Now, and this in no way means then we don't follow the commandments. No, of course not. We have to follow the commandments. It's out of that love of Christ, though, that we do it, that everything else flows, that we ask him for the grace to desire it, to desire to be in a relationship with him. And here's the beautiful thing. As Flora sang so beautifully in that gospel verse, it's John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He does it first. He desires you. He desires me. He comes into all of this with us, gives us himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And the question is, how do we then respond? We live in a world that so often, I think, just falls into, you know, lethargy. We just don't care about so much. And I'll tell you, you know, I don't know if you saw much. I mean, there were some headlines about it. There was just that Amazon synod and, you know, there's debates about should there be priestly celibacy down there and all that. The thing that's scandalous to me about that is the fact of, you know, whether you want to talk about the discipline of celibacy or not, it's like, aren't there people out there that God is calling to love him so fully that they're willing to give up? to give up a wife and children, willing to give something up to love him. And the thing is, all of us as followers of his, just like Zacchaeus, are called to make sacrifices. He calls us in tons of different ways, obviously, according to our vocation, according to our state in life. But he does call us to follow him. Bishop Barron put it this way. He said, grace is free, but it isn't cheap. That ultimately our desiring of him should shape everything that we do. Not to be like the rich young man, not like the Pharisee from the parable last week of, 
I did all this, you owe me now. No, but I love you. What do you want me to do? I mean, in getting that straight, doing that in the right way, I think shapes everything. And does that mean that he's going to call us to a lot? Yeah. And sometimes like Zacchaeus, that means financially, putting what we have, what we've earned at his service in whatever way he's calling us to. But remember, compare the two. Think about the rich young man. He had many possessions. He held on to them. What did he do? He went away sad. Look at Zacchaeus. He gives away half of everything that he owns. He's restoring four times over everything that he's ever extorted. What happens with him? He's joyful and salvation comes to his house. Not just saying that because we have a capital campaign going, but we do have a capital campaign going, right? Ultimately, though, it's as we look at everything in our life, all the gifts that God has given us. You know, as we see in that first reading from Wisdom, he's pouring all these things out on us. He loves us so much. Ultimately, what we have to do is what St. Thomas Aquinas told his sister. Desire it. Desire to love the way they love in heaven. Desire to have that relationship with Christ, who has done the first thing of walking through the town, so to speak, of being there in our midst. The question is, how do we respond? Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.